Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Yep, we're ready. Okay, Summer of Love. Uh, we are going through 1 John. And today, all I'm going to do is intro this new book. Um, We are going through the epistle written by John, um, the disciple of Jesus, the beloved. He also wrote the Gospel of John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. So that's that's who he is. Um, But I want to give you some information about this book, uh, about uh, why it was written, who it was written to, a little bit of the structure and theme, and then we're going to talk about the first four, four verses today. And in the, four, uh, the first four verses, which basically summarize the entire message and gospel of John, um, we'll talk about the implications for our life. It is complex, it's mysterious, and it's difficult. The first service fell asleep, if you can imagine. Um, so hopefully you'll stay awake. No, we'll get, it's gonna be really practical at the end, I promise. But we're gonna talk about a, a few things. So let's jump in. Um, if you have a Bible, go to First John. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about this book and some of the framework that we compare it to. So John is the author, not John the Baptist. Um, he was, he, that's a different dude. So if you ever thought, hey, I'm confused, now you know. It's a different John. John is a, was a disciple of Jesus. Um, some scholars believe he was probably 14 when he was following Jesus, just so you know, when he was selected as a disciple. Um, he's writing this to the churches he was overseeing um, that kind of congregated in and around the uh, Ephesus. Uh, this was written around the 80s and 90s uh, AD. And the purpose of this book is to instruct and build up the local church he's leading and to remind them of the gospel of Jesus uh, according to his kind of his kind of story of Jesus from the gospel he wrote, the gospel of John. But it's also uh, to defend the church against heresy. It's to defend the church against false teachings that were going around and influencing the church 2,000 years ago. And there was a word for it, it's called Gnosticism. Um, and it's a, it's a clever way of saying these people didn't believe basically uh, that Jesus was resurrected physically from the dead or that he was physical at all, he was mostly spiritual. That's kind of an, an overemphasis of it. But it's similar to like New Age spirituality or New Age theology, um, which I would define as this, um, and this is the best way to describe Gnosticism, it's a spirituality that's disconnected from history History and the incarnated, resurrected Jesus Christ. This is so important. This is what a lot of the church struggles with even today in some of the liberal progressive theology. It takes away the necessity of Christ being physical and raised from the dead. And if you were here for Easter, I couldn't overemphasize this enough um, that this is actually what the entire Christian faith and uh, following of Christ is built on. It's built on the confession that Jesus lived in human history, as a human, fully God, fully human, died on the cross and was raised from the dead. That's the center of everything we believe as a church. So uh, John is gonna talk all about this um, and he's gonna defend the church with the historical incarnated, resurrected Jesus. So the word incarnated, I know some of you don't know what that word is. It's a Christian word and forgive me for speaking Christian words. Um, But it basically means that God became flesh. And John, the gospel, uh, chapter one, he says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Um, 
or as one translator said, uh, uh, God took on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. That's the theology we have as Christians. That's pretty cool. I love that theology. It's so important for what we're dealing with. Okay, uh, what's the next slide? Okay, a couple of themes, but before I get into themes, let me just give you a framework real quick. Um, how many, you guys have actual Bibles? Anyone? Okay, so some of you have your phones or iPads or whatever. <clears throat> I've got an iPad up here, um, but I also have the Bible. So here it is. But what you have is you have four um, gospel accounts. This gospel is good news. You have four stories of the life of Jesus, life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark. Good work. Okay, so we got four. And the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are very similar. In fact, Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark. And they write their history and life of Jesus based off of Mark's initial account. It was the first gospel written. It was written by a guy named John Mark, written um, uh, with a direct account from Peter, the disciple. So John writes based on what Peter experienced, and that's how we got the Gospel of Mark. Mark is then borrowed by Matthew and Luke, and they're called the synoptic gospel. Synoptic means viewed together. If you lay them out, you can see very similar structure and themes. Right, so similar parables, similar stories, uh, just across the board, they're similar. Uh, John is very different. Okay, John is very different. It's there, there, there are no parables in John's gospel. Um, they're not structured um, necessarily sequentially like Matthew and Mark and Luke. In fact, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk all about the kingdom of God. How many of you have heard this here? Jesus' primary message is the kingdom of God is at hand, and we've talked. Uh, in, in detail about what the kingdom of God is. John doesn't even use the phrase or mention the kingdom of God in his gospel. So uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written to different people groups, different kinds of people, different times in history by dif- different authors. John is written to a different group of people at a different time, and he's a different author. Are you with me? When we talk about the Bible, and we say, oh, the Bible says, or this is the Bible, we're talking about various authors Various times in history um, with various purposes and intentionality um, that make up the Bible. And so Mark was writing to a specific group of people on purpose uh, for a particular reason. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience for a different reason. Luke is writing uh, to a Gentile audience. He's, he's a Gentile himself. He's written, writing it for a different reason. And John is doing the same thing. John writes... Uh, for various purposes. So as we interpret the scriptures, we're, we're taking all of that into effect. Are you with me? All that to say, John is different than the other gospel writers. <laughs> John um, talks about eternal life, which we'll talk about today. He structures the gospel of John um, around seven major theological debates. He, uh, he in, the, in the book, 1 John, that we're gonna read, it's not sequential, it's not linear by any means. There are these floating themes that just kind of circulate in chapter one, and then they're in chapter four, and then there's another theme in chapter one, and then there's another theme in chapter five. It's just, it's absolutely chaotic and poetic and beautiful. But if, you're, if you like the linear structure, like Paul writes systematically, John does not write like that. So you just gotta know that there's a different flavor, a different kind of method to his madness. Are you with me? I'm just, I love the Bible. I absolutely love the scriptures. We have to be 
And more than ever before, we just need a biblical worldview. We need to have an approach to understanding what the authors intended the scripture to say and mean to the people they were writing to. And, and nowadays, we can just pick and choose what we want. And, and we, just, we need to be better at reading the word and committed to it. I'm gonna do my best as a teacher to, to do that. So I'm giving you all this information on purpose. Uh, the second, let's talk about themes. So these are the major themes. One is the historical reality of Christ as the son of God. All throughout First John and the Gospel of John and Second and Third John and Revelation, John is going to combat the, uh, the the kind of the false doctrine and theology of the world by constantly bringing it back to the resurrected Jesus Christ. His issues get worked out ethically and socially around the view of God in Christ. Are you with me? It's, this is so powerful. So here's one, one verse that he uses. It's, it's just, you're gonna see this all over the book of 1 John. He says this, this is how you can re- recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. He goes on, I don't wanna get into this, but this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Brothers and sisters, if you think there is a singular Antichrist because of Revelation, you're, you're wrong. I'm just gonna say, this Revelation is talking about what was going on in the Roman Empire, except for the last two, verse, last two chapters. I'm just gonna throw that out. That's a blanket theological what? We'll get to that if we ever go through Revelation. There is, the spirit of the Antichrist is, are, are the spirit that's opposing Jesus as the Messiah, which has historical connotations of being God who became flesh. All right, it's, it's combating Gnosticism. Okay, that's a whole, now sit with that and let that simmer and stir for a little bit. That was a curveball. Um, I'll, I'll have to do like a hot topic Sunday or something and just talk through some stuff like that. Like Revelation is so beautiful if you understand the historical context. It's amazing. What happens at the end, Jesus wins and he comes back and everything gets renewed. How awesome is that? Now let's, let's not worry about all the details because things are going crazy right now. Would you agree? Life is getting more and more complex. More slaves today than any other time in human history. 29 million slaves. Yep, that's crazy. We got, we, got, we got some work to do. Anyway, so here, let's go to the next one. I'm gonna get off subject, and I've got a great mystery box here, and it's gonna take me like 15 minutes to get there. So the next one is uh, the themes. Um, so in view of who Christ is, the way the Christian life gets worked out is through holiness and love. So all throughout the, uh, for the Gospel of John and 1 John, you're gonna see that in view of God's love for us, love is, uh, is directly connected to how we love one another. It's such a thing. This is a book about love and that you can't have a vertical relationship with God without a horizontal loving relationship with everyone else around you. It's, it, it, wow is right and <laughs> it offends us. If, you, if we take this book seriously, it's gonna go where you do not want this to go at all. It will take you to the messy corners of the world and it will force you to reconsider every aspect of your life in view of who God is. Let's just, let's just look at that for a second. Let's look where in chapter three, this is where if you take it seriously, it goes. John says this, and it's quite polite. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So that's the model. This is how he defines love. Jesus died for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Okay, that's a nice theoretical, philosophical, yes, let's lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then he gets really practical. If anyone has material possessions, 
He's not talking to the wealthy. If you have any, if you have stuff and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. Summer of love. This is where we're headed. It's gonna take us some time to get there. Um, So breathe. Those are the major themes. The other major theme is uh, eternal life. So why don't I do this? Why don't I pray? Uh, Actually, I'm gonna read the word and then I'm gonna pray because after I read the first four verses, you're you're gonna need some prayer and then we'll go from there. You with me? I'm just pumped on that gospel music we had. Rejoice in the Lord. I was feeling so down after the first service, not because of anything I did uh, per se, maybe it was, but um, I just was heavy. And then I'm like standing in the back, missed the first part of the worship. I was just chatting like, 915 service does. And then um, that they just started going for it. Was that amazing? Yes. That was not in the first service. And I was like, yes, let's get, let's get this going. Rejoice in the Lord. I wanted some more hallelujahs. I wanted some, it was good. I loved it. Let's read this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Lord Jesus, this is the word of God. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for a place where we can organize and reorient our life around what is true, around what is real, what is ultimate. We thank you, God, that we, uh, we live in, in a space where it's free to worship on Sunday, where we aren't um, persecuted with violence, many of us. Lord, we thank you that we can um, come together as a church and be family in um, a diverse city with our diverse beliefs. We thank you that this whole thing, Christianity, is centered on a living God who's been raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We honor you. Lord, as I hear translation going on, I just bless the translation. I bless um, the community that is speaking Spanish and uh, and they're finding home um, in a primarily English-speaking community. God bless them. May we be a church that's open to diversity and differences and culture. And may we learn how to uh, sacrifice and love and embrace one another in your name. Amen. I just love hearing the trail of what I'm saying because I know Daisy's translating back there. She's making me sound so much better. So if you're... (laughs) They started doing uh, Spanish podcasts. She goes into the studio and translates. It's amazing. Um, So cool, right? Yeah. Who does that? Mm. So, touch, see. We touch with our own hands. John starts off this whole epistle, this letter, by saying what I'm about to tell you, what I'm about to share is not something that I read about somewhere. It's something that I experience for myself. This whole thing, Christianity, is not something that we just believe in. It's something that we've experienced. 
as John writes to the church to combat these things, he's not saying, well, let me tell you the right thing to think, uh, right things to believe or think about, concepts to consider. He says, I've touched this life with my own hands. I've experienced it for myself. There's anything you walk away with today, it's that Jesus is a reality to be experienced. Jesus is a reality to be experienced. We'll get into that. It goes on in verse two, look at what it says, but right before this, he says, which we looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word, circle the word or highlight it, of life. Verse two, the life appeared, circle appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So a couple of things theologically that we need to go over, word, appeared an eternal life. So the word, word, is capitalized in your Bibles, correct? Um, and, and it's, in Greek, it's not capitalized. In Greek, it means the message. It just means message, the message of life. Um, but when it's used in a, as a capital letter or, or capital word, um, it's used as a metaphor concerning or, or as a metaphor for uh, Jesus, the life and person of Jesus Christ. So you, in John's gospel, it says the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. Uh, and it's used as this metaphor. It's absolutely beautiful. But, but what you need to know, he's, like, he's saying we, we testify, we've experienced the word of life. And we testify, we proclaim to you the message, the life of, of Jesus to you. He says it's a message about life. This thing that we proclaim that we've experienced ourselves is a message about life. He doesn't say it's what happens when you die. He doesn't say we proclaim to you a series of doctrines. He doesn't say we proclaim to you a message of, of life after death, a message of salvation or what, dealing with sin. He says we proclaim to you a message about life that has been revealed. The word for appeared is actually a Greek word for uh, revealed. And I love this. We're proclaiming a message that Jesus revealed. He didn't just create it, he uncovered it. He showed us this. He demonstrated this life. He revealed this life to us. The message that he's bringing is the kind of life that Jesus believes that you can have. We've experienced it for ourselves. Are you with me? This is the message that John is proclaiming. The summary of his gospel is all about this idea that it's something that's been revealed through Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. And that it's an experience that they've had with Jesus. And it shapes every other aspect of the human existence. And it's about eternal life. This message has been displayed and it's been revealed to be a certain way of living. When I, t- when I say eternal life, what do you guys think of? What do you think of? Eternal, heaven? Forever, 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 forever. <laughs> forever never seems that long until you're gone, Miss Jackson, my intentions are good, I wish I could. Okay, anyways, you're welcome. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson, Woo. Okay, um, it runs deep, it runs, it's just, I can't contain the beast. By the way, Next Sunday night, hip-hop dancing uh, is being offered. You have to sign up. It's a free class at a studio on Redondo and 3rd. I'm just going to say I might be there. <laughs> just it out there. It's a maybe. Let's see if I can get a babysitter. 
Um, but someone's hosting the class, basics. Just letting you know, seven o'clock. <laughs> what were we talking about? Eternal life. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be a long Sunday. Eternal life, whoa, it's 12 o'clock. All right, so um, what else do you think of? No pain, no tears. So when you think of eternal life, you think of heaven, you think of no pain, you think of no tears. Uh, when I was growing up in Christian church, I thought eternal life is what you experience once you die, right? It's where you, what you get once, when you say yes to Jesus, but you don't get it until you die. And there's, you made the transaction, but the experience doesn't happen until you go to this other place called heaven where there's no pain, no tears. Uh, there's a place, it's peaceful. It's full of joy, right? Would you associate joy? These are all accurate things. Um, so it's, it's really important that we get kind of what's happening. So we associate heaven. We associate peace and joy. Um, let's associate all that we talk about with the kingdom of God. It's the life that God intended us to live in the first place. It's marked by the resurrection of Jesus, marked by physical healing, anxiety being healed, cancer being healed, is, a, is, is, is marks of what's to come, right? Of what will happen once and for all. But the way the author talks about eternal life is it's not just what happens when you die. It, it, it's happening here, and it's what Jesus came to reveal, and I want to just make sure we get this, because um, this is really important for the next few several weeks. Um, Jesus talks a lot about eternal life in the Gospel of John, and so the author of 1 John is the same author. Can you go to the Gospel of John for me? So let's go to John chapter 10, and we'll just look at the word life. John chapter 10, we'll start in verse 10, because uh, Greek uh, the Greek has different words. Obviously, you can tell that I'm doing a Bible study. And I see some yawns, and I see some blank stares, and let me just remind you of what's over here. <laughs> Attention is there. Nope, not yet. Eternal life. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, keep that up there. There are two different words for life in Greek in this sentence, or the two sentences. I have come that they may have zoe, Z-O-E, zoe, and have it to, to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his suke, or psyche is where we get the word psyche, um, for the sheep. Go to John chapter 12, verse 25. So two words, zoe and suke. Okay, you with me? Anyone who loves their suke will lose it, while anyone who hates their suke in this world will keep it for eternal zoe. Whoa, did that help translate it for you? I don't really speak Greek. I, I just I have great tools that help me understand these, these words. But when you look at the Greek, you see that there's a wordplay, suke and zoe. That's kind of cool. It rhymes. Um, but there's actually, there's actually something deeper going on. The type of life that Jesus is referring to is a different kind of life that we can experience. Keep this verse up here, um, if you would. Anyone who loves their suke, which is where we get the word psyche, it has to do with the temporary life, this, this physical life, the mind, the emotions, the body. It's where we get the word soul. It's also where we get the word psychology. Um, the emotions. If you love, their, if those who love their life will lose it, while anyone who hates this Life, which is the same word, suke, 
in this world will keep that life for eternal life. Now, this is really complex. Would you agree? It's quite complex. So what is he saying in this passage? He's saying, if you love this temporary life, you'll lose it. But if you hate this temporary life and you focus and value the eternal life, things that last for eternity, you will keep this temporary life with you or you will bring eternal life into the present life is what he's saying. In other words, eternal life, all the stuff that is lasting forever and ever and ever, all those things that we are marked by healing and love and justice and peace, that invades this present reality when you learn to value and live your life after Jesus. And it, it happens here and now. A couple of points to summarize. What is eternal life? Well, well, number one, it's an experience, not a concept or an idea to believe in, okay? It's an experience, not a concept. Now stick with me for a second. Um, it's number two, it doesn't have a beginning or an end because it's eternal, that's what the word eternal means, and it's happening now. So it's not something that's just gonna happen when you die, but it's happening now, and it's what Jesus came to, to reveal. So those three points are there. So you could say eternal life is an experience happening now that Jesus came to reveal. It's the life God intended. It lasts forever. It's a life with a different kind of quality than this temporary life. It's a quality of life, life that exists with God, a life of fellowship and joy and peace and healing. Are you with me? Yes. Eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. How then do you obtain, or the, there's a question, how do you inherit this, this life, this eternal life, when we're living in this present life? Well, it says um, in John chapter 17, it says this. I just wanna frame this and then we'll make this all connect. John chapter 17 says this. Father, verse one, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, so get ready. He's defined it for us. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life has something to do with being in right relationship with God and Jesus. It has something to do with knowing the one true God and Jesus. This life that we're talking about, that's happening amongst us that, that we have access to has something to do with us being in right relationship with the one true God and Jesus and knowing him. And, and here's the thing, the Greek word for know, it's so great. It has something to do with fellowship and relationship. It has something, know in Greek has something to do with experiencing something, not an intellectual belief. To know in Greek is to experience something on a deeper level. Is that cool? So eternal life has something to do with being in right relationship with God. Eternal life means we can live in an interactive, dynamic relationship with God here and now and experience the life, what life was intended to be like in the first place. That's good news, right? It's, okay, it's good news. How many of you have had a rough life and you've thought to yourself, I hope the next life is better than this life. Anyone thought that? Well, guess what? One, it is better 
two, you can experience that here and now. Good news. It's, it's not just hold out until you die. It's you are invited into a new way of living where God is at the center of your being and existence. How many of you look around the world and you, th- you think to yourself, wow, this place is messed up? I mean, I said 29 million slaves. We can list out all the crazy things going on in our culture and society today around the world. And we just say, gosh, I wish there was something I can do. Well, guess what? In 1 John, he's gonna make it very clear. There is something that you can do. The good news is God is going to bring renewal and a new way of living to other people through you. And it gets as serious as saying, when you look at somebody who has a need and you have some stuff and you don't take pity or have compassion and act in a loving way that's very tangible and you share your resources, the love of God is not in you yet. Yeah, mm, is right. (laughs) When I started reading 1 John, I was like, what did I get myself into? If we take this seriously, it's gonna change our church. The other thing is Jesus comes to bring you life here and now, not to add a bunch of spiritual stuff to your life like prayer and and worship. He's not coming to, to give you a spiritual life. He's coming to transform the regular, ordinary life that you have. He's very concerned about your relationships, about your sexuality, about your uh, the things that you do, the way you spend your money, what you look at uh, at home on the internet. He's very concerned about your character. He's very concerned about your the, the, the decisions you're gonna make. And what he desires most is that he brings transformation so that you may flourish in this life, and then when when you die, it just continues on for eternity. You with me? This is what we're talking about when we talk about eternal life. And what John says is, I have experienced this life, and I want you to experience it for yourselves. I have seen it, I have touched it, I have heard it, and I wanna invite you to experience it with me It's not about a ticket into heaven. It's not about a list of to-dos. It's not a checklist or rules to follow. It's a new way to live here and now. Are you with me? Yeah. Eternal life is kind of like salsa. Not dancing, because I know you thought I was gonna dance, but no, it's kind of like salsa. So this illustration is brought to you by the Food Network, and... um, I had the help of my wife in the first service, but unfortunately she's not here. Um, So I'm just gonna, so I wanna just talk about, I love salsa. The only problem with salsa is when we don't have it at our house. And I love all kinds of salsa, especially the one that my wife makes, which I'm going to make for you today. Um, But for many of us, uh, uh, I, I believe that our experience in the Christian life is similar to our experience with salsa. Yep. And some of you have only experienced store-bought, canned, or bottled salsa. And for that, I'm so sorry. But when we look, if I asked you, well, what what makes a good salsa? You could throw out a list of ingredients, right? And if I asked you what what is salsa, you would say, well, Darren, it's tomatoes, and it's cilantro, and it's garlic, and onions, and jalapenos. It's it's salt, and and, and it's canned tomatoes, and sugar, and and it's limes. and, uh, And you could say all that, and I'd say, yes, 
Yes, actually, it is all of those things, but the sum of those things is what salsa is. This is not just salsa, and, and let me just come back to the Christian life, because so for many of us, we have organized our lives around the neat compartments around the ingredients. We are fascinated by the tomatoes. We are fascinated by the salt or the, whatever that, that's a salt, that's an onion, um, <laughs> by the, sh- the salt. And, and even as, as, as the ingredients come out, you can already begin to smell, can't you? Some of you in the front, oh, you can already smell the fragrance. And, and we, get, we get so excited to, about the various parts, but, but what salsa is designed for is to make it. So what you do is you, first of all, you add some canned tomatoes, not gonna spill. Boom, I'll put some more there. There's some canned tomatoes there. Some, um, some onions, quarter of an onion, boom. I'm gonna squeeze some lime. I don't know which ones my wife used. Squeeze some lime in there. You want a lot of lime. How many of you guys like lime? <laughs> Love lime, yep, lime. Throw some chopped jalapenos, some cloves of garlic. I got some garlic in here. Look, at, I'm already prepped. I mean, this is pretty good, right? I don't cook like this, my wife does it, and she prepped it all for me, so bless her heart, and she's so amazing. She's a good woman, I love you, babe. She's not here, but she's on podcast, so there we go. (laughs) Hey, so uh, we're gonna add, guess what, this is a little secret, this is sugar. Yep, trust me on this one, just add a little bit of sweet sugar. We're gonna add a little bit of salt, put some salt in there, I like it salty. We're gonna put, and this is another secret, apple cider vinegar. Okay, yeah, I know. You're like, what, dude? And I'm like, you know what? Just wait. Just wait, bro. Just wait. Just hold, hold your horses. What am I forgetting? Oh, the cilantro. Got to throw a bunch of cilantro in there. Okay, I got to put the, I'm going to do this now. Watch, I'm just going to blend it just a little bit. Hopefully it doesn't get crazy in here. Um, and it died. Just kidding. Mix it up just a little bit. There we go. See how it's just chopping up nice and fine? There we go. Oh, the suspense is killing me. So here we go. We got, we're going to add the rest of the canned tomatoes, two cans of tomatoes, in case you're taking notes at home. Some real chopped up tomatoes. There we go. You can use Roma if you want. I prefer the regular. And we're going we're gonna to mix it up. There we go. Get it. Get it? You don't want to go crazy like Rubio salsa. It's just like this liquid, right? You want to do a little more chunky like, like the Whole Foods or, or, uh, or even Wahoo's has some good salsa. Like I said, I love salsa. There we go. There we go. Ready? There's salsa. Now, what we do here is we do it. We put it in a bowl, and then, and then. Oh, look at the chunks. Oh, gosh. Oh, and then. Um, now, I just want to talk about this for a second. Now, some of us get to this place, and we go, "This is the Christian life." We got all the ingredients in there. And we just, we love it. We love to debate about this Christian life. We love to talk about the various components of this Christian life. We love to, we love to exclude and include certain people based on our preferences. We go to churches that fit the Jesus that's made in our particular image, not the Jesus that's found in the scriptures. But this Christian life is not just about the sum of the ingredients. This Christian life is about digging in deep to that salsa. Mm. Oh, <laughs> it's lunchtime, I know. Oh, mm. Oh, I gotta get some more chips on. Mm. This is about, oh, 
This is about experiencing it for yourself. It's about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And then once you've made that happen, it's about sharing it with everyone else. Now this Christian life is not meant for you to experience the life that God intended for you to have in the first place to keep it to yourself, but the natural progression is that whatever you receive from the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, you give away in what is perfect fellowship. That, brothers and sisters, is the point of the whole book of 1 John. That you might be here saying, I'll give, I'll give God a, a little bit of my finances, a little bit of my sexuality, a little bit of my relationship, a little bit of my Sunday morning and my, my Wednesday afternoon or evening. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Jesus redefines everything else. And you have to experience the whole life that is found in Christ. And when you taste that, when you touch that with your own hands, when you've experienced that, you can't help but try to give that away and invite other people to experience that resurrected Messiah. Because that resurrected Messiah is what the world needs more than anything else. We can debate theology and our views any day, but at the center of the Christian faith is the historical, resurrected, incarnate Jesus Christ. When we make that confession, when we experience that for ourselves, we invite everyone else to experience him as they are, not as they should be. Amen. We pursue God with love and holiness. We deal with our sin but we deal with our love in our community with grace and joy and peace because this is what eternal life looks like. Touch and see and hear and taste. And we live in a time where there is radical relativism that denies there is a one truth, that there is a meaning to a text or an orthodox interpretation. And our consumeristic Christianity is even more insidious than that. We actually can pick and choose what we wanna believe about God. We can pick and choose how we might wanna spend part of our life, part of our resources, part of our theology. And then we just throw the rest out and we make Jesus in our own image. And what this book does, what 1 John does, what the, the Bible does is it preserves the voices of the Lord's apostle and it continues to speak to every generation that this is not an assertion of power. It's an invitation of gracious love to come and experience the life that is really life. We have to invite and embrace and include and the message is to experience the fellowship of God as you pour and demonstrate the love of God in your ordinary life. First John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. When we experience it for ourselves, you can't help but extend hospitality to open up your arms, to embrace the outsider, to include and to love and to be generous. And you experience something called fellowship which is a very complex concept, which we, have, we, we associate to church potlucks and the time that happens in between services. Fellowship, we'll talk about later, is about mutual covenant togetherness, commonality. In other words, in this Christian life, you don't get to decide who's in and who's out. You're forced to deal with the diversity of opinions and perspectives and eth ethnic 
uh, diversity and cultural diversity and social and economic diversity and whatever is there, you're stuck with. That's fellowship. And when you're stuck together, you have to deal with each other in love, primarily expressed by Jesus. This is what the social ethic, ethical view that John brings together in this word fellowship. And it's so amazing because it gets really offensive. It gets so offensive. It, it offends everything about us in, in, in our, our consumeristic culture, our narcissistic uh, personality-driven empires. One author says, this is where it goes. He, he responds to that verse I shared earlier, 1 John chapter three, and I'm gonna close in just a second. But this is, this is where it goes. Here, John connects love and property in a simple, profound way. When he says, if you have material possessions, that verse, chapter, one, verse, or chapter three, true love makes us want to ensure that every Christian has his or her needs met, food, drink, clothing, and housing. And it's a rebuke. If Christians haven't done this, if the church, the local church, hasn't succeeded with this, then how can we say we have been loving the way God commands? If we haven't taken care of Christians' needs, Christian needs, then Christians are still infants in regards to love. And that's a bit softer than John. He actually says that the love of God is obviously absent if we haven't done this. In other words, we're deceived about how happy God is with us. If we have yet to share enough to have uh, no Christian poor among us. Notice that John didn't say whoever has a great deal of the world's goods. He's not speaking to the super rich. He's speaking to everyone with more than one cloak. To put it in first century terms, simply put, refusing to share with a fellow Christian is a sign we're not genuine believers. We haven't learned lesson one. Sharing food, this was the beginning of real community making sure each person had his or her needs met, her basic met. That is the beginning of Trinity on earth. It's offensive, is it not? Is it offensive? I'm offended that John would have the audacity to say that God's love is not in me because I neglect my brother and sister in this family and their needs. But that's what he says. And he says this and then he goes on in this verse and he says that your joy may be complete. And joy is this great concept which we'll talk about later, but that you may be fulfilled. You may be full. And brothers and sisters, to, to close, I just wanna say that this is an invitation. This is an invitation to experience Jesus for yourselves, to build your life around the confession that he is Lord and raised from the dead and experience the life he comes to offer full of grace and joy and peace and love and intimacy with God, you are invited simply to say yes to Jesus. That's what today is about, an invitation to say yes, yes to Jesus and trust him. Trust him with your family. Trust him with your life, with your dreams. Trust him with your future, with your relationships. Trust him with the people that you disagree with to trust him with your, your spouse's spirituality, to trust him with everything you hope for, to say, it's in your hands. Show me how to live a life that is abundant. So brothers and sisters, come. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.